here again. Acts 25, we're picking up where Pastor Mike left off last week. Felix the cat is handing off Paul to Festus. I have no joke for his name, it's funny enough. But uh, a lot of things going on, and we're going to try and extract what God has for us in here. Let's just pray and thank God for the word, and then watch it, and let it come alive to you, and then we'll dissect it together. Father, just thank you tonight that we can come into your house, and we can worship you. And Father, you make provision for us in all things, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we've learned the church is not four walls, but behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity, Lord. As Pastor Frank reminded us about unity, Lord. Help us to, to maintain the bonds of unity, Lord God. And Father, as the word goes forth this, this evening, Lord God, make the book of Acts the prototype for the church come alive to us and help us to walk away encouraged and motivated to do something for the kingdom of God. Because God, you've got something for all of us to do. And God, you used Paul in such a mighty way. And we're, we benefit from what he's done in so many ways. Two-thirds of the New Testament came through this man, much of it while he was in chains. So help us, God, to get the principles here that they would let our chains fall so that we can be alive in Christ to do great exploits for our God. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Enjoy. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem. For they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there, if he's done anything wrong. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews, or against the temple, or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, 
There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I'd expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. When Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, Tomorrow you will hear him. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him. In Jerusalem, and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death. But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. The plot thickens. You would think someone being held on trumped-up charges, he would be able to get out of the system quick. But Paul has a destiny here, although... God is using the system uh, to get the gospel presented in places where it needs to be presented. Felix leaves Paul under house arrest for two years. How about that for the speedy wheels of justice, huh? Two years. Could you imagine being in Dutchess County Jail for two years and there was no, you know, no ticket, no charge? How many people would be excited about that? So... It's outlandish what's happening here, yet it's happening and God's using it. During this time, Paul is allowed freedoms. And realize, I mentioned this in our opening prayer, Paul is writing a lot of the epistles to the early churches while he's in chains. And, you know, he writes these epistles. Why? Because he, he really, he knows this is a nuisance. He knows it's God's plan. But at the same time, his heart is for the churches. And I want you to see that something that 
you know, you'll say, well, he was the apostle Paul. He had this great burden. You know, we think of the, the disciples and the apostles like they're super Christians. But all of us are supposed to have a heart for the body of Christ. All, in fact, it's one of the marks that identifies us as Christians that we love the body. Amen. Now, we got a lot of people in our generation that love the world. We got a lot of people that love wealth. Come on. We got a lot of people that love pleasure. But how many people do we have that love the body of Christ? Come on, shout back at me. I know it's not Sunday, but... You know, we really have to cultivate that love for the body, for the church. How often do we find ourselves praying for our brothers and sisters, say, in China or the Middle East where persecution is rampant, where they're literally being jailed and imprisoned and persecuted in ways that we can't even fathom here in the West? We should be really heartbroken and concerned for that. So if your love for the body is flickering like a candle that's about to go out, let the Holy Spirit fan it into flames. He's in this house arrest situation, yet he's not angry at God. He's not being spiritually unproductive, yet he's doing what he's called to do. And, and you know, he's left there by Felix uh, in the hopes that he would get a bribe. And Pastor Mike talked about that. And there was... <laughs> Paul wasn't about bribing anybody. He knew he was where he was supposed to be. Uh, Felix retires while Paul is in jail and hands his problem over to Festus. Isn't that nice to leave a lot of loose ends for the next guy? Um, how many have ever inherited a job like that? Right? The last guy that was there that either quit or got fired or whatever left you a whole big mess. And you got to come in like the crown prince and fix all the messes. Well, here's a mess that Felix left for Festus as he moves on and Festus secedes him. Uh, he wants favor with the Jewish leaders. So the, remember, these guys who are in control here, they're politicians. They have a lot of factions to deal with, a lot of different groups. They don't want to make trouble. They don't want to kick bees' nests. They don't want to stir up the hornets. So, you know, he wants to have favor with the Jewish leaders and uh, Paul and uh, Paul is kind of this, you know, football that they're kicking back and forth here while he's in house arrest, and there's political concerns involved. In verse 1, it says at the beginning of Festus's rule, he goes to Jerusalem, and the religious power brokers there immediately jump on him. So now this is our chance. Paul's been out of our clutches for two years, but we got a new guy now. So let's go. See how hot these guys were to finish Paul off? You would think in two years they might have simmered down a little bit. Not at all. For the new guys in town for the first time, they jump right on the issue. Uh, they are hell-bent on killing Paul. They want him out of the way. They want his doctrine, his gospel, his Jesus, all to be buried with him. And they want to bring this to closure. It's been simmering for two years, and they want to bring it to an end. When you and I are an asset to the kingdom of God, the enemy will never cease trying to snuff us out. When you and I are an asset to the kingdom of God, Paul, what an asset to the kingdom of God. People who say, well, I, the devil never bothers me. I'm like, well, wait a minute now. He said, I have no troubles in life. Well, you better, let's say the sinner's prayer together. You know, let's, let's make sure you're in the faith. Why? Because, I mean, there's a lot of pew potatoes. There's a lot of Christian driftwood that is no threat to the kingdom of darkness. Come on, say amen. Not, not Wednesday night. This is the meat eaters club. You guys are all, you know. But when you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness, the devil doesn't take a vacation on trying to snuff you out, to destroy your ministry, to steal your anointing, to ruin your testimony. Come on. To lure you into sin. Why? So that you're not effective anymore. 
It's amazing how Christians, you know, will attack leadership that falls into sin. Don't you realize how many demons were dispatched to them to, to make them fall? Why? Because when you, you strike the shepherd, the sheep are scattered. So the enemy goes to shoot off the leadership, and he assigns his best devils to them. So Paul, you know, had this demonic thrust to snuff him out, and these religious leaders were behind it. He was a, a threat to the kingdom of darkness, and he was relentlessly pursued. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't quit. He doesn't get lazy or distracted. He stays right on focus with doing what God has called him to do. I think some of the most beautiful epistles you'll ever read were written as Paul was chained up going through this. I know Philippians, the epistle of love, as he's in chains. Wow. You know, so the enemy will resist us, but he can't slow us down unless we quit. Amen. So never quit. Verse 2 and 3, the high priests are, uh, and their friends are pushing for Paul to be brought back to Jerusalem. They, they say, here's the new guy. Let's ask him for a favor. Let's schmooze with him a little bit. You know, can you bring him back to Jerusalem, you know, so we can question him and learn a little bit more about, you know, his, you know what his offenses are and what he thinks. And, what, and really what they're doing is planning to kill him. They've already set up man in ambush. Do you remember those guys that took a, a vow that they weren't going to eat or drink until Paul was dead? They are skeletons by now, but <laughs> hello. You know, I wonder if they kept that vow. But, you know, they're, they're serious about killing him, and uh, they're, they're planning to. So they're like, oh, just bring him back to Jerusalem. They're trying to work the new guy over, kind of having like a substitute teacher. Remember when you had a substitute teacher? Come on, stop looking so holy out there. You tormented the bus driver and the substitute teacher, all of you. And so they're like, let's see if we can get over on this guy. Let's see if we can, oh, you know, bring him back to Jerusalem. And, you know, that would have solved a lot of problems. But Festus is no fool. And in verse 4, he sees through their scheme. He says, you know, he doesn't take the bait. And he insists that Paul will be kept in Caesarea. And you guys come to Caesarea and, and file charges against him if he's done anything. And I like the way they did that in the movie. And he just walks away. Because everybody kind of knows what's going on here. But there again, everybody is just going along with the flow because nobody wants to take a stand. So Festus, you know, basically tells them, you know, you guys come on down to Caesarea and, and file formal charges. So verse 5, uh, he says, I'm going to be leaving Jerusalem shortly. And he gives them an invitation. Remember, he's schmoozing with them, they're schmoozing with him. It's political. He says, send your influential men to present their case against Paul and Caesarea if, you know, if any charges merit his prosecution. So he's going to keep Paul in Caesarea. He knows where he's going to be safe from these guys. What's probably going on here, and the video I think did a good job showing it, is that Festus is making these guys jump through hoops, hoops of inconvenience. And he's thinking, these guys, I mean, it's been two years. The guy obviously really hasn't done anything. I'm not sure what the issue is. But, you know, why don't you guys take another road trip and come on down and let's do this whole thing all over. Let's do another formal, you know, tribunal. And so, you know, it's an inconvenience for them. They got to leave their families. They got to leave their duties. They got to travel, which took time. It was dangerous. You know, you didn't just hop on the red eye and fly to where. No, you had to travel by land. And so he's like, jump through some hoops if you really want them bad enough. And guess what? These guys are so hell bent on killing Paul that they jump through the hoops willingly. Yeah, we'll meet you in Caesarea. And, you know, you see them, you see them do that here. Uh, if you've ever been the target of a frivolous lawsuit, if you've ever had baseless accusations made against you, if you've ever 
uh, you know, been accused of ethics violations or um, sexual immorality or, or any kind of things like this, you know, even if you're innocent, you still have to defend yourself. And it costs money. They drag you through the, a public spectacle. There's newspaper. You know, I mean, it's like you, you might be as innocent as innocent can be. And this happens every election cycle. Anyone who's running for office, they get these people to accuse them of doing all kinds of things. Did you ever notice it never comes to anything? And then after the election, everybody goes away. And some of the people even admit, yeah, we lied. And they don't get prosecuted. The injustice. You say, well, that, that must be an American thing. No, it's here. It's here in Scripture. It's, it's just a, a human foible. It's human nature. And so, uh, you know, we see this frivolous lawsuit is baseless. He's charged with all these things that don't even make sense. They make no sense to the Romans. He still has to defend himself. And, you know, we, we, can't, we see Paul doing the right things, but you know in his heart he's anxious. He wants to be out of bondage. He wants to be with the churches. I mean, picture yourself if you were in that position falsely accused in chains with no end in sight, and all you want to do is minister the gospel to the churches. It's a tough spot for Paul to be in, and he shows us a lot of good responses here for us as Christians. Paul continues uh, to be a witness for the lost. We're going to see that he witnesses to all his captors, and he's an evangelist. I mean, he, he's, he's trying to convert Romans, and he's trying to convert all, all these leaders. He writes the epistles to the body of Christ, and he maintains both his character and his testimony. And I want to encourage you about that. When you go through trials, when you go through injustice, when you're falsely accused, maintain your character. You need, sometimes, you know, we want to get in the mud and fight with the pigs, right? Do you ever get so angry about, you know, being attacked and being lied about or being, you know, come on, if you're feeling me, just you look like statues out there, right? And you just, oh, no, I just pray for them without ceasing. No, we want to get right in there and defend ourselves, and we want our pound of flesh, and, you know, we want to fight back, and that's understandable to a degree. But look at Paul's response here. There's no vitriol. There's no angst. There's no anger at God or man. That's our example tonight. And hopefully when we go through stuff like this in life, we can remember that and act accordingly. Verses 6 through 11, Festus sits to hear Paul's case in the, in the venue of a Roman tribunal. So this is Roman court. The Romans were strict and orderly. They had strict laws. You know, they had death penalty offenses, and they, they didn't hesitate to exact judgment right there. So sitting in a Roman tribunal is a serious situation. But since Paul's a Roman citizen, he knows he can get a, a more of a fair shake in the, in the Roman system than he could with the Jews that are already determined to kill him without a charge. So picture that. In the, you know, you can get more justice in the world than in the church. Ouch. What a shame. What, what condition these religious leaders have become, that they're, they're more bloodthirsty and, and you know, hungry to snuff out the gospel than even the Romans are. So Paul knows, I can get more justice in a Roman tribunal than I can with these guys who've already purposed and plotted to kill me. And so he, you know, he says, I'm a Roman citizen. I want to be in a Roman court. And he winds up in a Roman court, and that's an advantage for Paul. The religious leader's delegation of accusers in verse 7, they do jump through Festus's hoop and they make the trip and they travel and they put the whole thing in array again. This is our big chance. We waited two years. Let's get this guy killed and buried and out of our hair. 
So, you know, he makes it hard for them, but they are very committed. Verse 8, Paul's plea is a blanket, not guilty, right across the board. I've committed no offense against the Jewish law, against the Jews, against the temple, or against Caesar. Paul, how do you plea? Not guilty. I haven't done anything wrong. Now, that's a great place to be if it's true when you're standing in court that you haven't done anything wrong. And in this case, it's absolutely true. He hasn't done anything wrong. These charges are all baseless. The law, the Jews, the temple, or Rome, or Caesar, I haven't done anything wrong. Verses 9 through 10, Festus shows his hand and makes it obvious that he wants to appease the Jews. He wants to, he wants to give them what they want. Why? Because he's got to deal with them, and it's political. If he throws them, you know, if he throws them a bone, they owe him one. Paul's caught in the middle of this, and so we, we, see the, we see the system and how it works and how it's not necessarily for justice, but it's more political. And there again, this gives us insight into what we deal with in our own nation, in our own world. There's a lot of things that it's not about right or wrong, truth or justice. It's about money. It's about control. It's about power. It's about politics. Hello. And Paul's dealing with it right here. Paul knows he'll never get a fair trial in Jerusalem. Festus asks him, you know, would you be willing to face these charges in Jerusalem? And Paul's like, heck no. You know, Festus, that would be good for you. I'd be out of your hair. And, you know, these guys will railroad me. But no, I'm not, I'm not going to Jerusalem. You know, I'm not going there. It's rigged. It's a rigged system. Now, in our modern legal system, when a jury pool is tainted by news stories or by leaks or by any attempt to sway public opinion, uh, the case will many times be granted a change of venue and it'll be tried in another area. Do you know what I'm talking about? And that's what Paul needed. Why? Because the jury pool in Jerusalem was tainted against him and he couldn't get a fair trial there. Festus didn't care, wanted it over and done with, but Paul says, no way am I going to Jerusalem. I'm here now. Let's, let's, what's the charges? Let's try the case. Festus is, you know, trying to kind of wiggle out of this just like Felix was. Uh, Paul's the old proverbial football or the can that they're kicking down the road. Verse 10 and 11, Paul speaks up. He doesn't agree with this obvious injustice. He mentions if he's guilty, he's not afraid to die. Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? He says, if I'm worthy of death, I'm not afraid to die. Well, that's, that's kind of like what you know, you know, an innocent man says <laughs> because you know, he knew he had confidence that he had done nothing wrong, even though these guys wanted him done. So he says, I appeal to Rome, and more specifically, Caesar himself. Paul understands the Roman system. He understands the Jewish system, and he is seeing uh, both of them. He's working both of them to his advantage to get where he needs to be. But you say, to what end? Why is Paul, you know, why is Paul working to ask for change of venue and ask to be shipped here and moved there? What, what is this all about? You know, and it was not about him to, trying to preserve his life at all costs. You know, I think that would be our motive, wouldn't it, if we can just be honest? If we were on trial for something we didn't do, all we would want to do is be found innocent and be let go so we could enjoy the rest of our lives. But Paul's not even thinking like that. He's, you know, he realizes God is using him and that he's in the center of God's will. So his motivation is, well, you know, I just want to be free and, and, and save my life. That's not his main motivation. He wasn't kidding about not being afraid to die. 
because Paul understood martyrdom was probably in his future very soon, and he wanted to finish his course, finish his race. More than life, Paul wanted to fulfill his mission. Do you know you have a mission? Say, I have a mission. mission. Amen. All of us do. We have a mission, an assignment from God. And our greatest desire in life should not be to, you know, work hard, sack away some money, cash in the 401k so we can retire and stick our toes in the sand and relax until we die. Now, I just know I shattered a lot of people's retirement plans. (laughs) Was it a good plan? But you know what? And if that's what God has, praise God. But you know what? If we got things to do, our greatest desire should be to fulfill our call, to fulfill our mission, to do what God has assigned us to do. Paul has that heart. He's not looking to retire. He's not looking to just, you know, go somewheres and take it easy. You know, I'm the retired Paul. No, he wants to fulfill his mission. And I think somehow, some way, we've got to see that and we've got to receive that so that that's our heart too. Lord, I don't want to die before I've done what you've called me to do. God, I don't want to die before I've testified and been a good witness and been a good pastor. Father, I don't want to, I don't want to cash in. I don't want to show up early. So Paul, he has the right heart, and it's a heart that all of us need. He knows the Jewish system and the Roman system. He's working them both, but not to his advantage. He's working them to God's advantage. The call above all, the kingdom of God above the kingdom of men. Verse 12 delights everyone in the room except the Jews who wanted Paul dead. They have a little brief sidebar. Festus decrees you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. And so that's the final, you know, decision that uh, Festus makes there. Festus kicks the can down the road again. He's happy he doesn't have to make a decision and put his stamp on it. He knows that whatever he decided, it would jeopardize his future relationship with these leaders that he had to work with. So he's glad to send it to Caesar. Verse 13 and 14, King Agrippa comes to town. You thought Santa Claus was coming to town. It's King Agrippa. Now, King Agrippa is an interesting character here. They, they, you know, he, had, uh, he was all you know, dressed up and had his nice beard. Did you notice his crown was a little off to the side? Was he the hip-hop king? I'm, I'm not sure. But you know, he shows up, and he, has, <laughs> he seizes the opportunity to hear Paul's case. Why? Uh, why you know, the, uh, Festus sees Agrippa coming, and he knows this is my opportunity. I've got to let Agrippa hear this case. And King Agrippa is mentioned here, and he was originally Marcus Julius Agrippa. Uh, He was a slick diplomat who leveraged his friendship with the ruling Roman class, and he was able to reinstitute his grandfather Herod's kingdom. And so he was Herod's descendant, and he kind of weaseled his way in there to become a king again. And the Romans said, well, he's useful. Let's make him a king, and we can use him to rule over the Jews. Now, what was interesting about this, he was a slick diplomat. He knew how to leverage his position, but Agrippa ruled Judea, and he was an asset to Rome, and here's why. Because he was used to mediate cultural differences between the Romans and the Jews. The Romans' culture and the Jews' culture was so different, it clashed often. And so they needed this guy who was on the inn on both sides who understood it, who understood the political aspects of it, plus the cultural aspects. So uh, Agrippa was somebody who was really perfect for this situation. He was able to, you know, when there was a clash of cultures, he was able to come in and smooth it out or at least help both sides understand. So he just happens to come through town when Paul's in chains and Felix 
jumps on the opportunity. He communicates the details of the issue that landed Paul on his plate <coughs> and how the Jews wanted to breach Roman law and just kill the guy. In 15 and 17, he, he gives them the background of the story. Verses 18 through 19, the charges his accusers brought were confusing to uh, Festus, and he just basically says it's a technical disagreement over their own religion. And so Festus is pretty candid here in verses 20 and 21. He, he basically says, I have no idea what, what the issue is here with this guy. Agrippa, you know, can you help me understand it? That's basically the plea there. So verse 22, Agrippa is intrigued by all of this. Remember, there's not much to do back in those days. There's no TV. There's no video games. There was no, you know, so I mean, this was an opportunity to hear a case and to, you know, pass my, yeah, I'll take that. Sure, I'd love to hear this guy. And what Festus says, you'll hear him in the morning. So there again, what's this all about? God is bringing the gospel and the testimony of Jesus Christ into the ears of all those that needed to hear it in the upper echelons. Agrippa's intrigued. He wants to hear it. He, he, you know, they're hoping he can make some sense about why this guy was arrested and he can uh, untangle the culture clash there so everybody can understand. Verse 23, uh, you know, it, Paul's case is heard by Agrippa the next day and they turn it into some sort of, you know, sideshow here of his own importance. He comes in with great pomp. And what does that mean? Everybody got all dressed up. You know, they, they come in and they, they're trying to puff themselves up to seem important. You know, it probably felt like one of those Hollywood award shows. Have you ever, have you ever, you know, with all the pomp and the puff up and the cameras and the angles and who's wearing this dress and who's, you know, like an award show, nauseating. Who watches those things anymore? Oh, let's celebrate ourselves. Man, talk about shallow. So, you know, here's shallow amid great pomp. They come in and the trumpets are playing. Royal robes and crowns and jewels. And the only man worth a lick standing in the room is Paul. And he's wearing chains. The world does not recognize or celebrate godly people. It recognizes and celebrates itself. And you and I should run from that. We shouldn't, we shouldn't indulge in it. We shouldn't, oh, well, look, oh, look at that. They won this award. So shallow. You know, and I know it can be difficult sometimes to let, to refute people who love to inflate their own self-importance. Oh, you know, I'm this. If there's anything that's happened in this pandemic here is that, you know, we've seen the worthlessness of those people who claim celebrity status. We can live without Hollywood. We can live without the NFL and Major League Bay. We can live without all of that stuff. And I, I hope that, you know, they talk about the new normal. I hope the new normal is that we stop idolizing people for the, these things that they do. Amen? So here's the pomp and the singers and the dancers. And they come in and, you know, uh, the guy's, you know, looking for attention. And I'm going to sit down. And in all my wisdom, I'm going to hear this matter. And Paul's the only guy worth a lick in the room, but he's chained up. Verse 24, Festus gives his take on the issue. Verse 25, he says, the Jews want to execute this guy, but listen to him. He says, I find he's done nothing worthy of death. Who does he sound like? Sounds like Pilate. Doesn't he sound like Pilate? 
what, what has this guy done? I find him, he's, you know, I wash my hands already. Festus is like, you know, I've heard what their, their accusations, and I find that he's done nothing worthy of death. Isn't it interesting how these godly men wind up before these ungodly judges, and they don't know what to do with them? And many times their conclusion is they haven't done anything. But notice that that doesn't stop them from being executed. Why didn't he let him go then? Festus, why didn't you let him go? We know God had a use for him. But he sounds a lot like Pilate here, and I find that interesting. Verse 26, Festus's dilemma is that he agreed to send Paul to Caesar, but, and he's happy to do it because he doesn't want to deal with it. But he can't find a single valid charge to send him with. <coughs> Festus wants Agrippa, the cultural expert in Jewish-Roman cultural relations, to help him find a charge so he can send him to Caesar. Why? Because he says, I'm going to look like a fool if I send this guy in chains with no charge. He says, I find it absurd to send a man accused of something with no charge. And isn't that interesting? Absurdity is a common theme in secular society, isn't it? Absurdity is a common theme in our own culture. Just watch C-SPAN a little bit. Watch what goes on in our House and our Senate. And I don't know if any of you are paying attention to what's going on. They just keep trumping up charges on people and bringing them in and having these dog and pony shows. And they make all these baseless accusations. And then they don't let people answer the questions. I, I don't know if you're paying attention. Maybe you're best off not paying attention. But I'm telling you, this, this what we're seeing here is nothing, nothing new. It's nothing like, oh, you know, this, this is really unprecedented. No, this is par for the course. And here they are. He says, I find it absurd to send a man with no charges. Well, the Sanhedrin, in defending their own laws, were acting lawlessly. That's absurd. They were trying to execute a man without a valid charge. That's absurd. The Romans were reluctantly playing along. That's absurd. Are Paul's charges warranted, just, or fair? No, they're not. Are Paul's accusers operating in good faith and sincerity? No. They're not. Does Paul, a godly man, a Jewish scholar, a Roman citizen, deserve to be treated this way? No, he doesn't. But is Paul in the center of God's perfect will? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. You see, when everything doesn't add up, and it's unjust, and it's wrong, and it's not fair, and it shouldn't be, but it's God's will, you and I need to learn to embrace it anyway and draw on the strength of God. All of us go through stuff, maybe not like this, but stuff. Any of you go through stuff out there? Amen. And the devil's got a way of just spinning it and blowing it up and bringing in all kinds of players, make people say things about you and tear you down and make false accusations against you. And he loves to rehearse those things in your head over and over again at night when you put your head on your pillow. But I hope that we can be spiritually mature enough to see the enemy's fingerprints on a lot of these attacks and to just make sure we're in the center of God's perfect will and then to rest in that to know that our reward comes from him. Amen? Paul's headed for martyrdom, but his reward is in the hands of the Lord. As long as he stays the course, fights the good fight, finishes the race, he's going to receive the crown that he's running for. And so will we. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for the book of Acts, a prototype for the church. God, and if we're real Christians, we, we face opposition. And God, I know that there are many that have been through such injustices and 
Father, we could spend an eternity rehearsing them, but Father, we would rather just focus on your grace. Though men treat us unfairly, we are, part, we are those who have received grace. It wasn't fair for Jesus to go to the cross. It wasn't fair for Jesus to die a sinner's death in my place, but he did it anyway because he loved me and he loved all of us here. And so God, when we see injustices in our own life and we face hardships, help us to remember what Christ endured in our stead and just have a good attitude. Father, the world is watching. Paul's going to affect his jailers, his, the centurions who guard him. He's going to affect people that he speaks to. And God, all because he maintains his testimony and he maintains his character, even in the face of injustice. Help us to have that same level of maturity in what we face so that we can affect others for the kingdom of God. The time is short and the lost need to be found. Use us, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In praise. Mm.